Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 76 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Christian Cody of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as we continue our conference previews with a look at the American Athletic Conference, more commonly known as the AAC. Tony, what's going on? Not much. Getting ready for the 4th of July holiday. Chris and I are taping this on July 3rd, the night before. There's no no uh, rest for the weary here. So, uh, you know, everything that that day means. And, of course, you know, watching a lot of game film. And we're through the uh, AAC, and we're going to talk about a lot about their uh, upcoming draft prospects. Absolutely. And the AAC this past year had 11 players drafted in the 2019 NFL draft. At least one went in every round, too. So there wasn't a round that wasn't represented by this conference Four players ended up going in the top 100. Obviously, Houston's Ed Oliver is the headliner, went in the top 10 to the Buffalo Bills. We also had UCF's Tristan Hill and Temple's Rock Yassin going in round two, and Memphis's Darrell Henderson in the third round. Now, Tony, with an eye on the 2020 NFL draft, what's the prognosis for the AAC? I don't think you're going to have any top 15 picks. You may not even have any first-round choices, but overall, it's good. I mean, the AAC... Despite the fact that, you know, it's a top-heavy league, as far as non-Power 5 uh, leagues, they've established themselves, and I think they've held their own in the NFL draft. I think it's going to be a good year. I don't think it's going to be a great year last year where you had a top-10 selection. Now, we're going to skip the Naval Academy here. Last year, they had their six-year bowl streak snap with a 3-10 and ten season. Even when they're successful, though, it's just not the type of offense or team environment that is going to create NFL draft prospects. So we're going to start with UConn here, and now UConn didn't have any players drafted in 2019. One win season, zero wins in conference. Two players of note this year, though, for the Huskies to look ahead to. Matt Pert is a guy who moved from left tackle to right tackle after the 2017 season. Struggled with the transition at first, had some pre-snap penalties, but eventually settled in. He's going to return to the right side in 2019 as a captain this year, so keep an eye on him. And also keep an eye on wide receiver Ardell Brown, a graduate transfer from FCS Seton Hall. He's 5'10", 180 pounds, had 81 receptions for 1,267 yards and nine touchdowns last season. Back to Pert, though. I know you like him, Tony. What do you like about him? Yeah, I like him a lot. But first, we should say about Connecticut or UConn, they may be uh, looking for a new place to play football uh, real soon as uh, they're going to, I believe they're going to enter the Big East for basketball. I don't think the AAC is going to keep them around for football. So who knows what's going to happen with the UConn football program. And it's not been good lately. Uh, it's been some tough football to watch, except for Matt Pert, who I actually, if you go back and you read my UConn uh, right up in 2018, last summer, I identified him as an NFL prospect. And he showed me a lot of progress on the football field. He's a long athletic tackle. He moves well. He displays a good degree of agility. Uh, He can adjust to pass rushers and knock them from their angle of attack at the line of scrimmage. He can get out to the second level and take on linebackers. He's got decent footwork. He's got good range. Above average strength. He's not a dominant guy, but he does enough to knock defenders back off the line of scrimmage. I would like to see him develop a nasty streak in his game. I don't see that. I see him as a guy who, you know, will hit the opponent on initial contact. And then that's where it ends as opposed to really trying to drive a guy into the ground. He has a huge upside. 
I grade him as a fifth rounder. I know there are some scouts out there that have given him a fourth round grade. He's the type of guy, Matt Pert, that if he continues to improve and really take his game to the next level, I mean, he has top 100 possibility. There's no doubt about it. Now, Cincinnati is a team who had a bit more success than UConn in 2018. 11 wins, 6-2 and two conference record. Defensive tackle Cortez Broughton ended up getting drafted in the seventh round. Now, there are a couple of Bearcats looking forward this year that do have an outside chance of being drafted. Running back Michael Warren is the AAC's returning leading rusher. He was only outproduced by Darrell Henderson, who we mentioned before went in round three to the Rams. Tight end Josiah DeGuerra broke out with 38 receptions for 468 yards and five touchdowns. And a couple offensive linemen, guard Morgan James and tackle Chris Ferguson, are also on the radar, in addition to linebackers like Perry Young and Brian White. But DeGuerra is our top-rated Bearcat. Tony, what do you like about him? Yeah, and Cincinnati, unlike UConn, is a team that gets the most out of their players. I, I mean, he gets a lot out of a little. They're well coached there. DeGuerre, he, he represents that. I mean, he doesn't have great size. He's six two and a half, about 240 pounds. He's not a super fast guy. He probably runs in the four eights, but he gets the most from his ability. He's a solid blocker who also does a good job catching the ball when it's thrown to him. I don't think he's going to get drafted, but I think he could compete for a spot as the team's third tight end because he does a little bit of everything well as a blocker and a pass catcher. Now, East Carolina is a team that tends to get wide receivers and place them in the NFL draft, notably over the past several years, Zay Jones, Justin Hardy, Dwayne Harris, who's actually made a pretty nice career for himself, mostly as a special teamer. But three wins last year, 11th in scoring in the AAC. As a result, their top prospect this year is an offensive lineman, Deontay Smith, several years removed from a season-ending back injury back in 2016. Got preseason all-conference honors. He's a left tackle, but he's also played some guard. So he's probably the top guy to look out for, for the Pirates. They also have wide receiver DeAndre Farrier, who's going to replace leading wide receiver Trevon Brown. Last year in seven games, Farrier had 30 catches for 372 yards and two touchdowns. He's more of a chain-moving slot receiver type. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, cornerback Colby Gore, linebacker Aaron Ramsour, and edge rusher Kendall Fittrell could also draw some NFL looks. Fittrell is tied for second on the team with four sacks behind Nate Harvey, who's currently in Giants camp right now. Tony, where do you stand on some of these guys, including DeAnthony Smith? Yeah, uh, teams like uh, are looking at uh, Kendrell Fertrell, the uh, outside linebacker, defensive end hard, as well as Colby Gore. I do like DeAndre Smith if he clears medically. Plays tackle, as you said, but I project him to guard. He's a big, wide-bodied guy. Goes about six foot three, 307 pounds. Scouts are already looking at him, uh, even though he's only a junior. He's got an NFL build for guard. He's got decent footwork for a bigger guy. Really doesn't rumble around the field. Uses his size well to uh, outposition opponents or actually completely smother them from the action. Right now, he's my only potential draftable player from East Carolina. I got him as a possible seventh-round choice. Now we'll move on to Houston here. Obviously, we mentioned Ed Oliver earlier. They went 8-5 and five last year. They also had two other players drafted on the third day, cornerback Isaiah Johnson and linebacker Emeke Egbule. They could have at least four players picked this year, including a pair of bookend tackles, right tackle Jared Williams and left tackle Josh Jones. Jones is a guy who's excellent in pass protection, whereas Williams might be the better athlete of the two, but he's very powerful as well, has very strong hands and fits the right side, just as well as Jones fits the left side. 
On defense, they have safety Deontay Anderson and outside linebacker Leroy Godfrey, who are some intriguing late-rounders. And there are also some UDA grades of note on this team, specifically quarterback De'Ara King. He scored 50 touchdowns last year, 36 through the air, 14 on the ground. Many are intrigued by him under center. But, Tony, you actually have him listed as a receiver. Speaking of receivers on the Houston team, Marquez Stevenson led them in receiving last year. Keith Corbin actually caught 10 touchdowns to Stevenson's nine on half as many catches. As a result, you like Corbin more as a prospect, right, Tony? Yeah, I mean, he looks like a potential good fifth receiver at the next level. He's not overly large, six foot one, 190 pounds, probably runs in the four sixes, but he catches the ball well. He's the type of guy, I don't know if he gets drafted. I have a free agent grade on him right now, but I think if he plays well on special teams, he could make it as a fifth receiver who can line up in the flanks or, or in the slot. Uh, I, I like Jared Williams. I mean, most scouts have ignored Jared Williams. He's got excellent length at six foot five, the offensive lineman, I should say. Six foot five goes about 290, 295 pounds. Like you said, he's very athletic. He's got the frame to fill out. Some scouts have uh, graded Josh Jones as draftable. I just don't see it. I mean, if he is drafted, he's he's a late-round pick. I don't think he's going to be able to play tackle at the next level because he tends to fumble around the field a bit. I think Jared Williams is a lot smoother. He's got a greater upside. And one guy to keep an eye on is Deontay Anderson, the transfer uh, safety uh, who is a guy who has big playability. He's got good size, goes about six foot, even up 205 to 208 pounds. Like I said, he's got big playability. He just needs to consistently play at a high level. When you watch him on TV and you're, you're watching the games, you know, he kind of raises some eyebrows. But when you watch the film, he disappears for stretches, which is a problem. Only a junior, should have two more years left. I could see him entering the draft after a big year, but he does have a good amount of upside. They'll move to Memphis here and mentioned Darrell Henderson earlier a couple of times. They also lost Tony Pollard, who was an offensive weapon for them. But Patrick Taylor returns at running back 1,122 yards and 16 touchdowns last year. And that's while playing second fiddle to Darrell Henderson. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with the backfield more to himself this year. Quarterback Brady White was the only 3,000-yard passer in the AAC last year. And one of White's favorite targets is tight end Joey Magnifico. 21 receptions each of the past two years. On the defensive side of the football for the Tigers, Bryce Huff had 19 tackles for loss and nine and a half sacks. Austin Hall is a smaller linebacker who projects the safety at the next level. Tony, what intrigues you with the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, scouts really don't like Magnifico, but when you look at his measurable, 6'2 and a half, 250 pounds, runs in the low to mid four sevens, catches the ball well, not a lot of production, but they really didn't need a lot of production out of him with Darnell Henderson and some of the other uh, ball carriers they had there. I think he's a guy who I grade him right now as a potential late fifth, early sixth round choice. I think he's a guy who I think he's going to be poised for a big year because they're going to need some more weapons there. So keep an eye on him. Austin Hall is a guy who actually played safety in 2017. He is a hard-hitting guy who forces the action. He's got excellent size. Speed is the big question for him. Uh, he's a guy who, if he runs well, I could see him fitting into the late part of the draft. But if he's as slow as some project, uh, he's probably going to fall out. And you mentioned Patrick Taylor. A lot of scouts love him. Some scouts have him graded as an early fifth-round selection. He's got terrific size, 6'1 and a half, 224 pounds, Runs and plays in the low four fives. You know, now he's going to be the primary ball carrier. Now he's going to be the guy that carries the rock. It's all going to fall on his shoulders. Let's see how he reacts. If he has a big season, Patrick Taylor could really move up draft boards. If he fails, then he's going to go the other direction. 
SMU was a team kind of middling last year, 5-7 and seven overall, 4-4 four and four in conference play. They also didn't have any players drafted, but they could have two in 2020. James Proch led the AAC in all receiving categories, had three solid seasons of productions, and he's also an effective returner. As we say all the time, return specialists are players that teams look heavily towards in the draft, especially on the third day. Rodney Clemens is a three-year starter at safety. All ACC preseason mentions for him, and he was one of the team's top tacklers last season. Patrick Nelson is another impact safety on this team. And Texas A&M transfer Richard Moore was the leading tackler. 13 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks last season. One player, though, who's not going to be playing for SMU this year is offensive tackle Bryce Wilds. He was a starter in 2017, ended up getting benched last season. He's currently in the transfer portal as we record this now, but an intriguing prospect nonetheless. Tony, who do you have your eye on most for the Mustangs? Well, let's let's first start with Bryce Wiles because, like you said, he's in a transfer portal. I have not seen as of two weeks ago if he's chosen a school, but if you go back to the 2017 film, Wilds, who played tackle, absolutely looked like a draftable prospect. Didn't see the field last year. Obviously, something uh, went on there. You're going to have to keep an eye on him to see if he, where he's playing next year, if he's playing next year. I think the first two guys you mentioned, Rodney Clemens, the safety, and James Prochet, the uh, receiver return specialist, fit into the later rounds. Clemens has got excellent size. He's more of a box downhill type of safety. He's a hard hitter. He's good in zone coverage. He has all the attributes, I think, to be a strong safety type, a, a nickel or dime back special teamer at the next level. And as you said with Prochet, not the biggest guy, 5'10 and a half, 195 pounds, not the fastest guy, but someone who can line up as a slot is going to have to earn his wage. His bread and butter will be returning punts at the next level. Now, taking a look at South Florida, team that went 7-6 and six last year, 3-5 and five in conference play. They didn't have anybody drafted, but like SMU, that should end up changing this year. And this is going to be an offense that's fun to watch. Quarterback Blake Barnett was third in pass yards in conference play, only had 12 touchdowns compared to 11 interceptions, though. So he's going to have to improve in that aspect of the game. Tight end Mitchell Wilcox led all AAC tight ends with 43 receptions for 540 yards. Scouting world is very high on Mitchell Wilcox, so he's a guy to keep an eye on. Obviously, Tyree McCants is gone. Now he's playing in Rams camp. But leading rusher Jordan Cronkwright is going to be back, too. On defense, they're returning outside linebacker Greg Reeves, who's their leading returning tackler, and defensive end Kirk Livingstone, who's their leading returning sack artist, with four. So there's some definite intrigue for the Bulls this year, right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just kind of correct you on one, on, uh, one aspect of Mitchell Wilcox. People on the outside really like Mitchell Wilcox. If you talk to scouts inside the league, they really grade him as a late-round pick, and I understand why. You know, he's about six, he's six, three and a half, 247 pounds. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the quickest guy. He's very efficient. And I think what he, he reminds me of the kid from Stanford that was taken in the late rounds uh, of last April's draft. I'm, um, I know his name will come to me if you can't uh, think of it before, beforehand. Caden Smith. Yeah, exactly. Caden Smith. Thank you. Uh, and he reminds me a lot of Caden Smith in the sense that, you know, he's solid in all areas. But he's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not spectacular. And I think what it means for Mitchell Wilcox is he's going to end up as a late round choice. Uh, Blake Barnett, I happen to have as a draftable grade. I know a lot of scouts think he's a free agent type. He's got excellent size. He's got a good arm. I think he just has to improve his timing. He has to improve his pass placement. But I think he's got a good amount of upside. And, you know, Blake Barnett from South Florida, if he has a good year, he's the type of guy that I think shows up and plays at the Shrine game, which will only potentially help his draft stock. Want to mention one more guy, Greg Reeves. 
Greg Rees, after his sophomore season and after his junior season when he was used as a 3-4 outside rush linebacker, I had him highly graded. He really fell off last year because he was moved to a more traditional 4-3 type of linebacker. He's not on the scouts list, but if you go back and you watch him in 2016, 2017, there's a lot to like there. I doubt he gets drafted, but if properly used, I do think that Greg Reeves has a place at the next level. Now move on to Temple here, a team that definitely has a loaded roster compared to a lot of the other teams in the AAC. They went 7-1 and in conference play last year and lost three guys to the draft. Quarterback Rocky Asin, who we mentioned earlier, and also on the third day running back Reichwell Armstead and defensive lineman Michael Dogby. They could lose a similar amount of players to the draft in 2020, but this is another offense to watch. Quarterback Anthony Russo, I'll tell you, when I was watching Reichwell Armstead last season, Russo really stood out to me. Big arm, big potential, a guy who really put some great throws on tape in 2018, so I'm looking forward to see him develop a little bit further this year. Matt Hennessy is a two-year starter at center. He's a redshirt junior, but he's already pretty well-regarded. Wide receiver Ventel Bryant graduated, currently in Bengals camp, but there's tons of wide receivers left for the Owls. Brandon Mack, Randall Jones, and Isaiah Wright all should see bigger roles, and they're going to have a potential NFL quarterback throwing them the football. On defense, inside linebacker Sean Bradley, outside linebacker Isaiah Graham Mobley are the team's returning leading tacklers. Safety Sam Franklin is another impact defender coming back to Temple this year. And defensive end Quincy Roach, nine tackles for loss, six sacks in 2018 to lead all of the returning Temple players. So there's some really nice talent here, Tony. Who are you highest on? Yeah, well, obviously, Anthony Russo is my number one uh, rated prospect on offense from Temple. Right now, I got him graded as a third-round choice. Excellent size, as you said, big-time arm, really a traditional pocket passer. Not the most mobile guy, not a guy that's a threat to pick up yardage with his legs, but a guy who can get away from uh, pressure, who can elude defenders. I really think that when you look at Temple, you look at their quarterback position, which has been up or down, Russo is a stabilizing factor that I think can help take Temple to the next level. He is a legitimate uh, top 100 NFL prospect who, if he improves, is only going to move up draft boards. I love Sean Bradley. I know that scouts have his teammate Chappelle Russell over Bradley. But when I watch Bradley on film, I mean, he's everything that teams want in the NFL these days at linebacker. Slightly undersized, quick, explosive, great in pursuit, runs fast in a straight line or laterally. You can use him in coverage. Really a three-down linebacker. Absolutely love his game. Isaiah Graham uh, Mobley, he's a developing guy, a little bit smaller, More safety size, but someone who I think because of his athleticism has a high upside. And you mentioned Matt Hennessy. Again, a guy who's a little bit small, probably about 290 pounds, but he's quick. He's explosive. He's good on his feet. He's good out to the second level. Potential zone blocking center. A lot to like at Temple. I mean, not only from an NFL draft point of view. They don't have the really high draft pick as, as they did with, with Hassan Reddick, or they may not even have a Rocky Asin. But I think the overall package is outstanding. And I think from a program point of view, they've had trouble with Central Florida the past couple of years. I, I think they're going to be neck and neck. That game, October 26th, I believe it is, is going to be a fun game to watch. We'll head over to Tulane now, 7-6 and six overall, 5-3 and three in conference play. Cornerback Donnie Lewis was their only drafted player in the seventh round to the Cleveland Browns, a guy I know Tony liked heading into the draft as well. Quarterback Justin McMillan is an LSU transfer, went 5-1 and one as a starter in 2018. This year, he's got the role to himself under center with Jonathan Banks graduating. In those six starts, 
played a couple other games as well. Ten touchdowns through the air, five rushing TDs, so a dual-threat guy. His top target, Jalen McCleskey, redshirted after playing four games last season with Oklahoma State, wanted more touches. Through those four games, he had 15 catches for 155 yards and two touchdowns. You should get more of those targets at Tulane this year. They also have running back Darius Bradwell coming back to kind of continue the offensive theme for the Green Wave. He was the third leading returning rusher in the conference. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, cornerback Thakarius Keys is the name to watch. 12 passes defended last year, which ranked sixth in the AAC conference. Has excellent length at six foot two. Tony, what are your thoughts on the Green Wave? Yeah, well, well, the sc- scouts love both Takaris Keys and Darius Bradwell, who've got excellent computer numbers. Keys comes in about six foot, one hundred ninety pounds, runs under four or five. Darius Bradwell is a bigger back, six foot tall. 240 pounds, 459. Whether he's going to be a, a short yardage back or a fullback at the next level, regardless, scouts right now view both of those guys as late round picks. My number one prospect on Tulane is receiver Jalen McCleskey, who I thought, had he been able to finish out the season at Oklahoma State and had a quasi productive year, would have been selected in the 2019 draft. Uh, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's a little bit small, five nine and a half, about 175 pounds. Not the fastest guy, though. He's incredibly quick. He's a guy who's going to be a re- slot receiver, return specialist. He brings a lot of dangerous uh, run after the catch ability. Now he's going to have to play in a more NFL oriented system as opposed to what he lined up with or what he was used to at uh, Oklahoma State. So I think you got to keep an eye on McCleskey, who, if memory serves me, I believe scouts graded him as draftable entering the 2018 season season before he ended up transferring to Tulane. I'm also take a flyer on Justin McMillan. Uh, I've not seen scouts uh, write about him or or, uh, really list him, but he's very athletic. He's got decent size. He's got a live arm. He's just got to pull it together. He's got to improve his accuracy and his pass placement, but he's got a high upside. Now, after the 2016 bowl win for Tulsa, they've fallen on tough times in the past two years, just five wins and no players drafted in 2019. Likely none in 2020 either. Potential mid-round offensive tackle Wahid Muhammad might have been their hope to get a guy taken on early day three, maybe mid-day three, but he retired. Defensive end Travis Gibson led the team with four sacks in his first year as a starter last season, so he'll look to take a step forward. Linebacker Cooper Edmiston was third in the AAC with 113 tackles. He had 106 as a sophomore as well. And wide receiver Keenan Johnson is a guy who should take over as the number two receiver for Tulsa after catching 34 balls for 438 yards and four scores last season. Tony, who's Tulsa's best shot at a draft pick here? Yeah, I, I, right now it's going to be Gibson. I mean, he's got excellent length. He's shown flashes before, but he's really got to improve his game. He's got to take the next level. If he takes the next level, he could slide into the late rounds. Right now I have him as a free agent. He's either got to fill out his frame and show better gumption against the uh, run and really improve his run defense, or he's got to stand out as a pass rusher. Been a long drought for uh, Tulsa. They've had one player selected in the draft the past 10 years. That was 2011 when Charles Clay was taken in the sixth round by the Miami Dolphins. And now we might have saved the best for last year, buried the lead a little bit, because we went with UCF instead of Central Florida. They might have been first alphabetically if we did Central Florida. But here we are, consecutive undefeated regular seasons, for the Golden Knights. Even with that, they only placed defensive tackle Tristan Hill in the draft last year, second-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys. But this year, they should see a little more action, especially if some of their underclassmen declare. Wide receiver Gabe Davis jumped Dredrick Snelson on the depth chart last season to be Mackenzie Milton's number one target. Milton, by the way, likely going to medically redshirt this year after a gruesome leg injury 
last year. That's not confirmed, but does seem likely, especially after they brought in Brandon Wimbush, the transfer from Notre Dame. But back to Davis, 53 catches for 815 yards and seven touchdowns as a sophomore. And he's a guy who's a potential day two talent. They also have multiple second day guys in the secondary. Safety Richie Grant led the AAC with six interceptions last year, was named first team all conference and also can play the run as well. Cornerback Brandon Moore was an honorable mention, all ACC pick, full-time starter in 2018 after he started seven games as a freshman and made an immediate impact. He hasn't created a ton of turnovers yet, but he does have good ball skills and production on the ball so far in his career. Fellow cornerback Nivelle Clark is more of a late rounder compared to the other guys we've discussed, but again, good ball production. He's got good height at six foot one. There's too much talent here to list everybody, Tony. But where's your focus for the 2020 draft? Yeah, absolutely. We we could probably do a whole show just on Central Florida. Number one, I love Gabe Davis. Terrific size. We don't know his exact measurables, but I got him at about six foot two, 215 pounds. He probably runs in the low low to mid four fives, but he plays a lot faster. When I watched him in the uh, on the during the AAC film, he was outstanding. Ironically, uh, just before we started uh, taping this podcast, I had finished up my Pittsburgh film, Pittsburgh Panthers, and I watched Gabe Davis just take uh, Pittsburgh cornerback uh, Dane Jackson to school. I mean, was constantly torching him, and, and scouts liked uh, Jackson, as a, who's a senior, as a mid-round pick, potential mid-round pick in the 2020 draft. So Gabe Davis, right now, I got him as a second-round choice. He's one of those guys that I think the faster he runs, the earlier he's going to go in the draft. Richie Grant, the safety. A guy who's very explosive, just plays with great suddenness, solid against the pass, outstanding against the run. I love Brandon Moore, the cornerback. I liken Brandon Moore to Mike Hughes in the sense that I think he has that type of ability. He's got a similar body type, 5'11", 188 pounds. He's effective making plays facing the action or with his back to the ball. He just has to pick it up a notch. I have Brandon Moore right now graded as a third-round pick. I think there's no denying or no doubt that he could potentially move into the top 45 uh, with a big season. Neville Clark, the cornerback, we have him as a late-rounder. There are some scouts that think he's a fourth-rounder. I disagree. He struggles making plays with his back to the ball. Uh, But again, good size, 6'1", 180, 185 pounds. Mackenzie Milton, people love him. We hope he gets back on the football field. We hope he gets back to full health. When I did interviews last year, people were talking to me about him being a potential first-round pick. I don't see it with Mackenzie Milton. I'm sorry. He's a great leader. He's a great player in the college field. I just don't see a next-level arm. I don't see a guy who can drive the ball down the field. I, I saw a lot of deep passes where receivers had to slow up. He's a great competitor. He's a great leader on the field. We hope he gets back, but I just don't know that he's a great NFL prospect, even if he was fully healthy. Now, with all the teams covered, we have a special treat for you guys today. But before we get to that, please support the Draft Analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, that special treat I was talking about is none other than Temple linebacker Sean Bradley, the Owls' leading tackler in 2017, second leading tackler last season. Welcome to the Draft Analyst Podcast, Sean, and thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, Sean. You know, I I spoke with Sean before we uh, recorded this podcast, and I told him a big reason that we wanted to chat with him is the history, especially the recent history of Temple defensive players being selected in the draft. I mean, it is a litany of prospects 
who were either ignored or undervalued by scouts prior to their senior season and then went on to be drafted much earlier than anyone expected. What do I mean? Hassan Reddick. I mean, was not even listed on most scouting sheets prior to his senior season of 2016, went on to be a first-round choice in 2017. Last year, Rocky Asin, the cornerback, was graded as a street-free agent prior to the 2018 season, was the 34th selection of the draft last April. Michael Dogby, another one of uh, Sean's teammates, was another guy who was not even listed on, on scouting sheets a year ago, was uh, drafted in the seventh round of uh, last April's draft. Julian Taylor, a favorite of mine, a guy who I raved about throughout the 2017 season. He was another ignored by scouts, but turned out to be a seventh-round pick in the 2018 draft and has been on the active roster for the San Francisco 49ers. And that brings us to Sean Bradley, who is presently graded as a potential late-round pick by scouts. But you watch him on film, and I believe Sean is an underrated prospect who could have a lot of success at the next level. So i got to ask you, Sean. What is the secret to the success at Temple having so many under-the-radar defensive uh, prospects who go much earlier than people expect in the draft? I mean, it's just the way we work there. It's a little tough culture that was really built. And that tough culture that they always talk about, that Temple tough thing, is a real thing. It's like once you get in there, everybody expects so much. This is what they expect from you. They expect you to work, come out and work every day, no matter what. Never complain about a workout, never show up late, and those type of things. And you, over time, it just... You just build yourself, build your character, and then, you know I mean, when you get your shot, you got to make the most of it. So, Sean, let's start from the beginning here. You're from Mount Holly, New Jersey, just outside of Philly. Was it Temple all the way for you, or did you kind of receive and consider some offers elsewhere? Um, so, I only had one offer in my senior year. I only played one year of high school football. I played um, my freshman year. I played freshman year. I played freshman Football. Sophomore year, I started, but I got hurt before the season. Junior year, I tore my PCL maybe like three games in. I partially tore it on three games in. You know what I'm saying? So I sat the rest of that season. And then my senior year, I came back. I got an offer from Rhode Island before the season started. They took it when the season started. And I didn't have no offers throughout the whole season until the end. And I had Temple at the last day, maybe the last two days, two weeks, something like that. Wow. Now, let, let me ask you, have you been a Temple fan since you were a kid? Actually, funny story. Right before I got this offer from Temple, was the first time I had seen their game was like probably two weeks later. I was watching them. I was watching a Thursday night game. I forgot where they were playing. Maybe it might have been Cincinnati. But, you know, I was ended up catching a game. I'm like, I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah, Temple's in Philly, right? I'm like, it would be, be great to just play right up near my mom so everybody can come see me. <laughs> And the next day, I got a call from one of my coaches and stuff, and that's how I got in touch with Temple. That's terrific, especially since when you were a young kid, Temple wasn't very good. I mean, they, they had a, a long history of uh, not even bad football. I remember going to scout games live at Temple. For a while there, they played, I believe, at Franklin Field. I saw a game there where, where the Penn Relays are, and you would yeah. go to Temple games back in the uh, – really even the early 2000s where there would be more people on the field when you counted up the number of players and officials than there would be in the stands. But, you know, they've turned it around and, and you've been a big process of them turning around, especially the last three years. Yeah, most definitely. I appreciate that. And they used to always tell me about the history of Temple and they used to always say the same things. Like it was a lot of bad football play, you know, prior to the, the past couple of years. Now you were a 200 pound running back and defensive back in high school. Two years later, you're playing D1 college football, starting a middle linebacker. For you, what would you say was the biggest adjustment moving up a level on defense and getting closer to the line of scrimmage? <laughs> so, like, 
the thing is, I always wanted to play running back. So when I was like in high school, I loved running back. And that's what when Temple first came, they told me like, you know, we wanted you to play safety. And I was I was playing I was playing something playing half safety at high school. So I was like, oh all right, like, you know, safety's not bad. But I always told myself, I always said, like, I was I was coming out of high school, like, nah, I don't want to play linebacker though. I hope they don't move me to there. Like two weeks in the and two weeks in the temple, I got moved. <laughs> <laughs> I was upset at I was upset at first, but then you know once you actually start playing it and you learn how to play it and you can use different things, you can use different abilities. It's actually pretty fun. So I, I really like it now. But I was actually against it when I first got moved. I'd say that's worked out pretty well for you, all things considered. Here, we'll take a got a quick look back at last year. You guys started with a pair of tough losses. I think it was Villanova and Buffalo. You ended up finishing seven and one in the conference, though. Lost to Daniel Jones and Duke in the Independence Bowl. For you, what stands out about last season, whether it was which of those losses might have been the toughest or kind of the best players you played against, things like that? Uh, well, for us as a team, I think what stood out was our resiliency, right? So, like, we battled a whole lot that wasn't really out a lot. There was a lot of things going on around us in between our locker room, stuff like that, that we really had to battle through. And I felt like we stayed together really, really well. Like, you know, the first two games, there was so much expectation coming into the season. The first two games, we lost it to. And everybody was down, down on us, and even you know some players on the team were down. But we stayed together, and you know we pushed through that. Um, for me, I would say like as far as like opponents and stuff like that, I I think last year was since I've been here was probably my favorite year. You know, the, we're facing everybody we faced. You know, I got to play the Duke quarterback like, like you just said, the last guy, Daniel Jones. Um, he was he was he was really good. You know, what I'm saying in the first half we, we came out, I think we played really well. In that second half, he threw some. He threw them sideline, them sideline passes really well. So he was probably one of the better players I've seen. Now, I got to ask you, you lost a tough game to Central Florida on a Thursday night last November by a score of 52 to 40. Yeah. You finished the game with five tackles. What is it like playing against that type of explosive offense, which featured uh, quarterback M- Mackenzie Milton? I tell everybody this. I, I tell everybody, I, any team I've played since I started and when I was a sophomore, UCF was the fastest offense I've ever seen. Like I, like they were they were running fast. Like they were giving the play, running the play, and as soon as the play was over, they were getting the next call. So they were already ready for it. Like they were just right back on the ball. It, it was tough to stop. I'm saying and our offense played great. Our offense had a great showing. You know, Russo was throwing the ball. Ventel, Randall, they all played really, really well. Raquel, and you know the defense. We, we were doing alright at first, but you know that offense is it's tough to get adjusted to when everybody, especially when people start getting tired. And Mackenzie Milton is one heck of a player, I'll tell you that. Now, even if they don't have Milton this year, Central Florida is still likely to be your toughest competitor in the conference. They're bringing back almost all those explosive skill players you were talking about. How do you stop them? Um, well, you know, I think it's just I think it's just all about how how much we want it. To be honest with you, I, I think it was there for us last year too as well. And I say this all the time. You know, they just wanted it more. That's what I feel like. It's it's you come into a game and it's either. Who wants it more, this team or this team? Y'all play it out. And whoever's hard and whoever's practicing, all that stuff you didn't prepare for, whoever wants it more is going to show on this field. So, you know what I'm saying? This year we just got to step it up and take it one one extra notch. You know, they got Brandon Wimbush from Notre Dame. And we played him before. So, you know, we definitely owe him something. So we're going to be ready for it. There you go. Now, want to get a little bit technical with you. You're listed as a middle linebacker. Yeah. Is it a traditional true middle linebacker position that we've come to know over the years in a Temple scheme, or is it a little bit different? Uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, I think, you know, with Coach Rule, the scheme was different, and then Coach Collins, the scheme changed, and then I just kind of back. So it, it's, it's definitely a little different. You know, Coach Collins was more like leverage, 
and, and rules, more gap fit, schemes kind of tough, and, you know, Coach carries the same way. So it's, a, it's a definitely, a definitely different, I would, I would say. Not the traditional middle linebacker, but mm, got some similarities. Let me ask you something about your responsibilities and coverage for you. Is it more of a uh, sort of a zone type of coverage or is it man to man? Are you are you responsible for a specific player, say, coming out of the backfield or tight end? Or are you, speci- are you basically just responsible for a specific area? I mean, I mean, it depends on the play call. But typically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for a certain man, whether it's the tight end or running back based off the formation. You know what I'm saying so whether whoever lines up to which side, I'm, I'm typically off one of them. And then that's that, that's that's majority of my rules, you know. And then you have your run fits, of course, you know. You read your lines and whatever way it flows, stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm lining up off a man. Now you mentioned a lot of your past coaches. Obviously, this year you guys have a new coach with Rod Carey coming over from Northern Illinois. What's changed for you in terms of off-season prep under a new staff? Are you guys training as a team at the facility, and are there any kind of differences that you've noticed so far? Uh, they kind of, you know, Coach Carey did a really good job of coming in here, and he, you know, he, he sat down and asked most of the players like. What, what they wanted to, to keep and what they liked around the thing. So he, he kept a good job of, like, you know, trying to figure out the culture that we had here and, and keeping some of it while also trying to make some of his own. So for the most part, I would say, like, the tough the tough aspect of it is definitely still there. And, you know, he, he hasn't really added too much different things yet, but, you know, he, he's progressing as he, gets, as he gets more comfortable with us. When I looked at your upcoming uh, schedule for 2019 – the two games that I, I circled for Temple on that schedule are the September 14th game against Maryland and the mm-hmm. October 26th game against Central Florida. Both of those games are home games for you guys. Yeah. Now, at this point in time, we're, we're, ta- we're doing this on July 3rd. Are you doing any specific preparations for those games, especially the Central Florida game? Uh, no, nah, not, not in particular. We're not preparing for them yet at all. You know, we have a mindset over here that we take one game at a time. You know, we always say one and no. Uh, I've seen a couple of teams say that too, but yeah, want to know for us. So, you know, because, you know, last year, last year we started to do that a lot. You know, we were getting ahead of ourselves, like, uh, we got to do this. So we got to play, we got we to get ready for this team too and get week three. And, you know, we came out and lost the first two games. So we told ourselves that we was going to take it one game at a time, focus on Bucknell. So that's what we're, that's what, that's what we're game planning at right now. Learn from experience, right? Absolutely. And now obviously you're looking at it game at a time. After the season, you're going to go right into prepping for the draft. We're probably going to see you at one of those major postseason all-star games, whether it's the Shrine game where Michael Dogby played last January, the Senior Bowl where Rocky Sin was there. I know you haven't really been looking forward to stuff like that as far as the schedule goes, but have you given any thought to the draft process at this point or done any prep for that? Uh, no, nah, actually, I'm, I'm real nervous and I'm real, I'm real tentative to talk about things like that like with my family and stuff like that. So I really don't. I always tell them, like, keep it away from me because I'm, I'm 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 big on I'm big on I'm big on getting it done before before I start talking about it. you know my actions speak louder than words and I don't like jinxing myself or getting it too ahead of myself you know because you know it, sometimes you know you see all these people like I've had, I've had a couple friends in different football teams you know they had all the accolades and all the other stuff and stuff didn't work out for them so I never try to look too far ahead stay focused on where I'm at right now without naming names I mean a lot of players seniors and underclassmen they guys who have next level potential. They talk to agents over the summer before their season begins. Have you done any of that, or are you relying on your family and friends to do that? And if you have done it, what's it what's it been like uh, so far? Um, I mean, I've done little, uh, maybe a conversation, exchanging names, 
just to get the brochure or understand where they're at located, but I haven't got dug deep in anything like that. You know, I don't want to risk no type of stuff for myself or anything like that. And I definitely want to stay, you know, again, where I'm at right now. And, you know, so I've definitely just kept that open just to, you know, the, the speaking and the talking and understanding where they're at and where they're from and stuff like that. No more than that, the basics. Obviously, you have people like us who are, you know, giving out grades and watching film and trying to figure out exactly where everyone's going to fit in next year's draft. If you were to scout yourself, what would you say is the strongest part of your game and where might you say you need a little more work, might need to focus on improving? Um, you know, I would say my, my weakest part most definitely would be uh, my size could be, could be, you know what I'm saying, like I, I was last year I played at 225. The year before in 2017 I played at like 223. So, you know, sometimes my weight, that was, that was, a, big, that was a big part for me and my weaknesses. And then my hands, you know, using hands to get off my blocks and things like that. I broke my hand like twice last season. So that was pretty much of a struggle for me. But this offseason, I definitely got something in store for that. But uh, for my strong suits, I would say my quickness and um, the mental part of it, I'm pretty good at I'm really good at X and O's and understanding the playbook and, and, and watching film and stuff like that. I like studying my opponents, understanding who we're going to be where and trying to get advantages on them like that. You mentioned the weight. Is it tough for you to gain weight? Is that a problem for you, or do you think you'll be able to fill out your frame as you kind of grow into it? Well, actually, I'm I'm I'm, I'm up there pretty. I'm, I'm probably about like I'm probably about two thirty right now, two twenty nine, two thirty. So I got my I got it up. I got it up pretty much a good a good decent amount. But for me, it was more about my. It was more me just not pushing myself more last year. In a couple of two years, I was kind of more sophomore year. I was laid back. I was young. I wasn't really thinking about it too much. I was kind of just in the moment. And last year I kind of got up a little bit, but you know I wasn't pushing myself to where I could. But this year I'm really, I've really been get, trying to get everything out of myself. Yeah, it's a perfect segue. Uh, one thing I love about watching you on film when I scouted you was your quickness and your ability to fly to the ball, your ability to really to close to the action with an explosive burst. So I can tell you, I was floored when I spoke to scouts and we compared notes and they said they were concerned about your speed and they labeled you as a guy who runs in the mid to high four sevens. And when I watched you on film, I said, this is a low four, six forty guy. You told me you had a track background in high school. What events did you compete in? And what were your times, your marks? Uh, I ran the one, two, four by one. We were the state champs in the four by one. We ran a 41, seven, um, I ran a hundred, I ran a hundred time on 11 flat, 222, one, um, I placed like, uh, uh, placed like six in a hundred states, seventh in the 200, something like that. Those scouts who got you as a four, seven guy, they better, uh, mid, mid to high four, seven guy, they better adjust their times. They're going to look kind of foolish down the road. Yeah. I mean, Hey, listen, if they want to keep it there, that's fine. I'm just going to go out there and, you know, do, and hopefully do my thing. I, I, when I was in high school, I'm right coming out of high school, I probably been having like a 4-4-4 one time at a camp. I was like 205. So, you know, hopefully that can come out somewhere. Yeah, I saw you smirk when Tony mentioned that, uh, that 4-7 there. So you said you ran a 4-4 in high school. Obviously, you're a little bit lighter. Have you been timed in the 40s since then? Uh, well, one time with Coach Rule. I was timed with Coach Rule when he was here, and I ran a 4-4-8. I was probably about 225. What would you say you're shooting for in terms of when you get the chance to run the 40? Are you just shooting to get under 4.5 and match that, or are you shooting for a little bit better? 4.46, that's my time. Uh, I got it it written on my wall. 4.46 is going to throw you. If you're able to do that, that will throw you in the upper echelon 
of linebackers for the 2020 draft. There's no doubt about it. So first, Sean, I want to thank you for joining us. And I'm going to tell everyone out there who listens to us, when you watch Temple this year, they play this season, you better watch number five. Although it's going to be difficult not to see him the way this cat flies around the football team. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, Sean Bradley's everything teams want in an NFL linebacker today. He's a three-down linebacker who's a little bit undersized, but that's okay because he gets from point A to point B in no time at all and consistently makes plays on the ball. Sean, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you guys for having me. I really, really, really appreciate this. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, Sean, and best of luck this season coming up to you personally and also for your team as well. Thank you very much. That's it for the 76th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Our next two shows will take us to the Big Ten, so make sure to check back in next Thursday for the first of those two episodes. And obviously today, a special thanks to Temple's Sean Bradley for joining us this week. And on behalf of Sean, Tony, and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.